in his year-long devotional book entitled New Morning Mercies, the August 26th insert, Paul David Tripp shares what he believes is, quote, one of the dirty secrets of the Church of Jesus Christ. Are you curious to know what he shared? He continued and wrote this. Many of the things we do are done out of fear and not faith. Fear happens when I look at myself, assess my resources, and conclude that I do not have what it takes to do what God is calling me to do, or to face what he is calling me to face. Fear in a believer is a function of forgetfulness. To the degree that you forget who God is, who you are as his child, and what you have been given by his grace, fear is your default emotion. Have you ever grappled with fear? Have you ever found yourself acting or reacting in situations of your life out of a place of fear rather than a place of faith? Haggai previously addressed all of the people of Judah about misplaced priorities incorrect perspectives and unrealistic expectations. And now, at the end of Haggai chapter 2, we find Haggai's fourth message. The entire book is four messages he preached over a period of four and a half months. And now, in this fourth and final message, Haggai is not preaching to the people of Israel. This message is directed at one person, Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah. Have you ever felt like someone was preaching just to you? Even as you've sat in church and there's a crowd of others besides you, have you ever felt like someone was just to you. I have felt like that for certain on a couple of occasions. I remember the day that Stephanie and I got married. My dad performed the ceremony and he preached the charge. He gave the charge. And certainly as we stood before him, it felt like he was preaching to just us. And then several years ago, when I was ordained, there were many guests invited as myself and another young man were being ordained at the campus church in Pensacola, Florida. But as the pastor gave a charge of ordination during that service, it certainly felt like he was speaking directly to us, more so than for anybody else. There was no question that Haggai was preaching this message directly to Zerubbabel because in verse 21, God commands Haggai, speak to Zerubbabel. 
say this to him. What did the Lord detect in Zerubbabel that he desired to address? After Haggai has preached on misplaced priorities, incorrect perspectives, and unrealistic expectations, God wanted him to preach to Zerubbabel about unnecessary fears. The people of Judah face newness and change. They've been in captivity. They have returned to Jerusalem, provided for by King Cyrus of Persia, to rebuild the temple of God. But after starting the work for 16 years, they paused because of opposition. Because enemies around them were telling them, you can't do this. We'll come in and stop you. We'll put a stop to what you're doing. And in the midst of this newness and change, there was fear. Newness and change often produces fear in us. A fear that incapacitates and paralyzes us. Writing on the subject of fear, J. Oswald Sanders stated, a great deal more failure is the result of an excess of caution than of bold experimentation with new ideas. The frontiers of the kingdom of God were never advanced by men and women of caution. In other words, God often works in our lives to move us and his kingdom forward, but we hold back and are incapacitated by fear. What is the theme of the message found in Haggai 2, 20 through 23? If I were to give this message one theme, it would be this. God is on the side of his people, so do not be afraid. Do you believe that today? God is on the side of his people, so do not be afraid. Follow along as I read, beginning in Haggai 2, verse 20. And again, the word of the Lord came unto Haggai in the four and twentieth day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother, in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee, saith the Lord. This message from Haggai to Zerubbabel was a message of encouragement, a message of hope that God is on the side of his people so you do not need to be afraid. And as we examine the text, I believe that God was encouraging Zerubbabel in 
three different areas where fear was present in his life that he did not need to be afraid, and the same is true for you and I. Number one, I want you to see this. God is on the side of his people, so do not be afraid of your foes. God is on the side of his people, so they did not need to fear their enemies. And that certainly was something they were struggling with. The people of this small Jewish community, the returning captives from captivity, certainly looked at the strength of the Gentile nations around them, especially in light of their recent history and opposition. And they were afraid. Some 90 years Nebuchadnezzar had overthrown Jerusalem and Judea and taken people captive. And now here they were returned. They haven't even finished rebuilding the temple or the walls around them yet. And they are afraid of the enemies that are threatening them. They're fearful of it. Would their community and their work ever amount to anything? How would their enemies respond now that they had gone back to the work of building God's temple? Would the opposition they face come against them greater if they continued to follow God and obey God? And in the midst of all these fears, God had an answer for his people. Haggai had shared this truth in another of his messages, but in verse 21 he speaks of the shaking of the heavens and earth. This is biblical language that identifies judgment. In verse 22, God committed to overthrow the kings and kingdoms that were against the people of God and against him. Their strength would be as nothing before God. And so God's commitment to his people that he would deal with their enemies demonstrated that they did not need to be afraid of their foes. Do you ever grapple with fear because of foes, because of enemies? There may be times when you look about your life, this world that we live in, and the enemy seems so strong. The opposition seems so great. The challenge is too much to overcome. And it produces fear. Are there times when you look around this world today and you think, why is the wicked so strong? Why do they seem to be having so many victories? Are there ever times in your life personally where you think things like this? Well, what will they think? fear well how will they respond fear what can we do fear will we get anywhere fear when we ask questions like this and these questions hold us back from doing what we know god wants us to do keep us from committing to obedience to him keep us from getting to work for him that is fear. 
And those decisions that we are making these days often are the result of fear rather than faith. I love what the gospel according to Luke chapter 1 declares about the coming of Jesus. As Zacharias is prophesying following the birth of his son John, he shares these words as he, God, spake by the mouth of his holy prophets which have been since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us to perform the mercies promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. One of the amazing realities of Jesus' incarnation and his redemptive work is the enabling of his people to act in faith rather than fear. Think about this. By Jesus' death and resurrection, he delivered us from the hands of our enemies so that our, we can serve God without fear all our lives. That's a blessing of the gospel, a blessing of the work of Jesus Christ. We can commit to him. We can follow him. We can obey him. We can serve him without fear. And so we can say with the prophet Isaiah, what he wrote in Isaiah 54, 17, listen to this beautiful verse. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Friend, today, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, his redemptive work in you has made it has enabled you so that you can serve him without fear. So you can say today, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Even those who may try to rise up against me in the judgment to condemn me. The Bible says, thou shalt condemn because my righteousness isn't of me, it's of him. You have an enemy who tries to do that, by the way, don't you? The Bible calls him our adversary. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. The Bible tells us that he goes to God often, day and night, to bring railing accusation against the people of God. And often in your life and mine, we allow him to discourage us, to cause us to be afraid. We live in his condemnation rather than in the truth of the freedom that Jesus bought with his life. So when you are afraid of your foes, don't be discouraged. Don't draw back further into fear, but rather say to your enemy, Satan, no weapon that you form against me can prosper. You might rise against me in judgment to condemn me, but my righteousness is of God, and I condemn you. 
You don't need to be afraid of your foes. I've come to tell you today that God is on the side of his people. So don't fear your foes. Follow and serve God with an undivided heart. Put your faith in him. And don't be afraid. Number two, do not be afraid of your future. Well, that sounds wonderful, Pastor. It sounds good right now, but what if, and you fill in the blank, because often our fears stem from that, don't they? Well, as I sit here today, man, that's encouraging. It sounds great, but I'm going to go into life tomorrow and the encouragement and the warm, fuzzy feelings it gave me will have subsided. Real life will set back in. And that kind of thinking sounds reasonable, does it? It I mean, I know what I face right now in this moment, but what will tomorrow bring? And what will the next day bring? And what will the next day bring after that? That's exactly where I found myself in the summer of 22. And you know the story. When I experienced intense abdominal pain for weeks, couldn't eat. Every time I tried, I, I got nauseous. Lost 20 pounds in six weeks. When I thought I had cancer and wouldn't live much longer, I was afraid. It produced fear in me. I wondered what tomorrow would bring, what the next month would bring, what the next year would bring. I wondered how my wife would take care of four children at the time on her own. I was afraid. But there came a point when that changed was in August of that same year. I was in the MRI machine as they were scanning my body and over and over I was repeating Psalm 23 in my head. And God kept bringing me back to verse number four again. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. With when it began to change, it began to change when I chose faith over fear. When I determined and decided I was going to put my focus and energy in trusting God rather than fearing what tomorrow would bring. Listen, it wasn't about my ability to control the future, but my decision to trust my unknown future to a known God. A God who is with me, a God who is for me, a God who comforts me. The psalmist declared in Psalm 56, verse 3, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. The answer to fear is not courage. The answer to fear is not bravery. The answer to fear isn't just to face your fears and get over them. The answer to fear is faith. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. And I love how the prophet Isaiah took it up in level. He said in Isaiah 12 verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust 
and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. But again, often we would think something like, well, that's fine right now. But what about tomorrow? Well, that's fine what not right now, but what happens when a particular party wins the next election? Well, that's fine right now, but what if, what if it gets to the point where we are fined or imprisoned for meeting for corporate worship? That's fine right now, but what if the Bible is censored and outlawed? That's fine right now, but what if publicly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ is prohibited and labeled as hate speech? That's fine right now, Pastor, but what if tomorrow I find out I don't have a job anymore? What if tomorrow I get this report from the doctor? What if tomorrow suddenly the economy goes into a black hole and my accounts are wiped out? What then? Well, I have a message for you from God today. He is on the side of his people. So don't be afraid of your future. Did you notice how in verses 21 and 22, God spoke in the future tense? He didn't tell Zerubbabel, don't be afraid because this is true right now. He said, don't be afraid because I will I shall because of what I am going to do. He spoke in verse 23. He declared this in that day. Well, what day is that? It was a day that was yet future for Zerubbabel. And friends, it's a day that is still future even as we're here today. It's the day that he spoke of, it written in Daniel 2, 44 and 45, where Daniel penned, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain in the interpretation thereof. Sure, what had Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about and Daniel interpreted about? The eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. Several other prophets echoed Daniel's declaration of the eternal kingdom of God that would defeat all other nations. John the Revelator recorded it in Revelation 19, beginning in verse 11, when he wrote, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture, dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth 
goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. You say, Pastor, what does is, what is the prophecy have to do with me here right now? And here's what it means for you here right now. I can't tell you what may happen tomorrow. I cannot tell you that you will never face opposition. I cannot tell you that you will never have trials or temptations. I cannot tell you that you will never be hurt. I cannot tell you that you will never be ridiculed for claiming the name of Jesus. I cannot tell you that you won't live to see the day when persecution comes to this country. I cannot tell you that there may not be a day when you will be forced to choose between Christ and freedom. I can't tell you much about the future, but I can tell you this. When all things come to a conclusion, God is on the side of his people, and we win. Wickedness doesn't get the final victory. Wickedness doesn't get the final say. We are fighting a foe that is already defeated. So while you may not know what is going to come tomorrow, you already know who holds tomorrow in his hands. And so you don't need to fear the future. God is on his people's side. So don't be afraid of your foes. Don't be afraid of your future. And then thirdly, God is on the side of his people, so do not be afraid of your frailty. Who did Haggai preach this message to? Zerubbabel. Who was Zerubbabel? What was his position in Judah? He's the governor. Seems like a pretty high-ranking position of authority, right? Seems like that would be a, a place of authority, a place of power. And yet Zerubbabel likely experienced fear because of his own frailty. You say, how could someone with that kind of power and authority struggle with fear, struggle with insecurity about themselves. Well, think about who Zerubbabel was. Though he was the governor of Judah, Zerubbabel was a descendant of King David. Zerubbabel came from the Davidic line. Had Judah not been overthrown, Zerubbabel would not be the governor of Judah. He'd be the king of Judah. And by the way, don't think much of his position as governor because he is a puppet ruler under the authority of Persia. He doesn't even have his own power. He doesn't hold his own authority. The Persian emperor does. So here's a man that is a descendant of King David, he was in line to be the king, but instead he's a puppet, powerless governor over God's people. Beyond that, he was under a curse. 
You see, God had cursed Zerubbabel's grandfather, Jeconiah, and his line. God had told Jeconiah because of his wickedness that no descendant of his would ever sit on David's throne. So Zerubbabel really was pretty frail. Zerubbabel may have questioned how could he do anything for God? How could his life ever have any meaning? How could he ever do anything significant or worthwhile after all? He was diminished in status, not only because of the human political system, but because of God's curse upon the line of Jeconiah from which he was a descendant. Could he, in that place, do something for God? And look at the message God gave him. Verse number 23. In that day will I take thee, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel. Yes, I'm talking to you. And what does God say? I will make thee as a signet, for I have chosen thee. Those are powerful words. For sake of time this morning, you can study this through the scriptures on your own, but let me just simply say that God's message to Zerubbabel revealed how God purposed to use him. In these words, God attached the messianic hope and glory of Israel to the person of Zerubbabel. While Zerubbabel was not the Messiah, and he did not live to see the messianic hope and glory of Israel revealed, when you read in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, you find that Zerubbabel is a figure in the line of the Messiah. He's a messianic ancestor. So while in his own person, while as he looked at his own resources and his position in life, Zerubbabel may have felt powerless, he may have felt weak, he might have felt frail, God said, you're my servant, you're my signet, I've chosen you. So yes, I can use you. So yes, you can do something valuable for me. You can do something meaningful for me. Do you ever look at yourself, then at the world you live in today, and feel inadequate? Are there times you question how you in your status, your station of life, the community you live in, the time frame in which you live, question, can I really be used by God? C can I really do something worthwhile? I have nothing to offer God, especially where I live and at the time in which I'm living and with things as they are. I can't do anything for God. 
Have you ever heard of imposter syndrome? It's the persistent feeling of being secretly incompetent or inadequate for your job. A lot of us fear being found out. That is, we fear that others will come to find out that we aren't as capable, as talented, or as smart as they think we are right now. You ever have that persistent feeling of fear of letting people get too close, get to know you too well? What is that caused by? It's often caused by a sense that if people get too close or get to know you too well, they won't think as much of you as they do if you keep them at a distance. Perhaps that's how you feel as a child of God. You feel inadequate. You feel frail. You feel unable to do much of anything for him. You spend your time reminding God of all your shortcomings, all your inadequacies, everything you lack. You remind him how little you have to offer him. There are those in God's word who did the same thing. You think of Moses at the burning bush. What was God's message to Moses? I've chosen you. I've chosen to use you to go to Egypt to deliver my people, to give the message to Pharaoh and to work my wonders. And what did Moses spend the rest of that conversation doing? Excuses. Telling God how inadequate he was. Telling God how frail he was. Telling God how weak he was. And that has continued with person after person throughout history. Long after Moses did it at the burning bush, the prophet Jeremiah did the same thing. Listen to Jeremiah chapter 1 verses 4 through 6. Then the word of the Lord came unto me saying, For I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctify thee, and I ordain thee a prophet unto the nations. God told Jeremiah, I've chosen you to be my prophet to the world. And look at verse 6. What did Jeremiah do? Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. Isn't it interesting how similar his excuse is to Moses' excuse? God, I can't speak. I, I'm a child, I'm weak, I'm frail I don't know enough, I can't do enough I'm not strong enough Friend, do those kind of excuses sound familiar? Am I the only one? Come on Are there times when you struggle with those kind of thoughts About yourself in relation to God and following Him? You offered God all of your shortcomings God told Jeremiah, I have a purpose for you. I'm going to use you. And Jeremiah filled God in on all of his shortcomings as if God wasn't aware of who Jeremiah was and what he was and what he had to offer. And I want you to notice what happens in verses 7 and 8. God did not respond to Jeremiah and say, no, Jeremiah, you're wrong. You're actually pretty amazing. God didn't respond to Jeremiah and say, Jeremiah, you're the greatest orator who's ever lived. God didn't respond to Jeremiah and tell Jeremiah, no, you're not a child. You're, you're a strong guy and you can do this. No, actually, that's not what God did. 
Look at verses 7 and 8. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child. For thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces. For what? I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. You see, here's the problem with filling God in on all of our shortcomings. Our focus is in the wrong place. Our focus is on the wrong person. When we come to God fearful of our frailty, fearful of our weakness, fearful of our inadequacy, fearful of all of our shortcomings, fearful of how little we have to offer God, we are forgetting a very important truth. It's not about us. Can you say that with me? Say, it's not about me. It's not about me. And when you and I hold back in fear because of frailty, we are focusing on the wrong person. It's not about me. It's all about God. We, we hear it said and we know it's true. Where God guides, he provides. When God leads us to something, leads us to someone, leads us to a work for him, leads us in any way, he doesn't leave us to do it in our own strength and our own resources. He gives us of himself. God didn't respond to Jeremiah's fears by telling him to focus on himself and his own resources. He responded the same way he does with us. In a sense, God looked at Jeremiah and said, you're right. You're young. You can't speak. You aren't strong. You aren't capable. But that's not what was important. God does not respond to our fears of frailty with reassurances of our strength but a reminder of his. So if you feel inadequate today, if you're afraid of your own frailty, I have a message for you today. God is on the side of his people. So do not be afraid of your frailty. You see, the reality is fear will hold you back, but faith will propel you forward. God told Zerubbabel, I've chosen you. That meant that God was with him. He did not need to fear. And the same is true with us. If you're a child of God, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God has also chosen you. And he is with you. So choose to trust instead of succumbing to fear. Today, identify if foes, if the future, or if your own frailty have produced fear in you. And if they have, determine to turn from your fear to faith in God. Because that fear will only hold you back, while faith will propel you forward. In his devotional I referenced earlier, Paul David Tripp continued and wrote, I am deeply persuaded that the only solution to fear is fear. 
listen to his thought. In other words, fear is defeated only by a bigger, greater fear. Here's what I mean. When the fear of God overwhelms and controls your heart, it protects you from the paralyzing and debilitating fear of other things. It's only when God looms hugely larger than anything you could ever face in this fallen world that your heart is able to experience peace even when you don't understand what is happening and you don't have the power to solve it if you did. So I ask you today, believer, child of God, are you grappling with fear? Are you afraid? In Psalm 118.6, the psalmist declared, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do unto me? In Proverbs 19.23, the Bible says, The fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and he that hath it shall abide satisfied, he shall not be visited with evil. Psalm 34, verse 4, I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. God is on the side of his people, so do not be afraid of your foes, your future, your frailty, and you throw any other fear in there that you have. Say to yourself, God is on my side. I don't need to be afraid. And then I ask you who may not be a believer in Jesus, will you believe? Jesus Christ died for your sin. He rose from the grave three days later. He is coming again. There's coming that day when he will step his kingdom. When every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Will you be ready for that day? You can be if you will trust him as your savior. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? In just a moment, we'll have a brief invitation. But I wonder today if God is speaking to your heart. This message series, Back to Normal, is about getting back to a place of normal biblical Christianity. And normal biblical Christianity operates from a place of faith rather than a place of fear. And maybe today the revival that you need in your life is about recognizing where you are operating out of a place of fear, confessing that to the Lord and determining by His grace to operate from a place of faith. And so today, if, if, if you know that it's true in your life, that you've been operating from a place of fear? Will you get back to normal? Will you respond to God? Confessing that fear and committing to live from a place of faith.